This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for joining us for this very special winter outlook edition of our podcast. Yes, today we'll have Weatherworks chief meteorologist and long range expert Jim Sullivan on the show, and he'll be giving us an in depth look at the upcoming winter. But before we talk with Jim, let me introduce to you my co-host and baseball card collector, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. How's it going? I had to find that, uh, you know, I'd look on Facebook for that one because you uh, have been telling me you've been doing a lot of baseball card collections and uh, yeah, 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 you got some good stuff there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just something uh, something I got into again. You know, I always did it when I was a little kid. And then seems like baseball cards, football cards, all that stuff is a hot commodity right now. It, it is coming back. I think the pandemic may have something to do with that. Me, on the other hand, I think I was about 12 years old and my parents had a, had a yard sale. And I think I sold all of my baseball cards for like 40 bucks. I'm thinking, oh, I'm rich, 40 bucks. Yeah, and some guy probably got away with like great cards that I can't remember that I had. Yeah, you probably had something good in there, just like I guarantee dad. I had something more worth more than forty bucks, and multiply that by whatever. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a shame that, and that's why things are worth <laughs> more when people just kind of get rid of them like that. But uh, yeah, you know, enough about that. Um, I know we we got hey we got a fun topic today, and, and one that uh, that we really uh, take pride in every year here at Weatherworks. Yeah, that is true, and it is the winter outlook. And uh, it's a topic that everybody is interested in as we head through the fall months here. And uh, today, like we said in our uh, intro there, we'll have our uh, chief meteorologist and long-range expert, Jim Sullivan, explaining all about the winter outlook and, you know, how he came up with the forecast and what he's been looking at for the last several months. And really just in time, because we've we've got some snow in the Midwest really just a couple Mm -hmm. of days ago. Um, the Northeast, really New England, uh, got their first taste of uh, snow over the weekend. So it's, uh, it is, uh, even though we're, you know, with this time of the year, we get those big fluctuations, you know, we can still hit 70 here in the Northeast and the next day it's at 50, but, uh, the signs are there that the seasons are changing. And, uh, before you know it, the I-95 corridor will be dealing with snow and, uh, also the Chicago area, you know, I think they're, uh, yeah. they're going to be dealing with it here before we know it so it's uh it's definitely around the bend and uh, we're getting ready for uh, for winter here at weatherworks yeah and uh hey i gotta ask you brad did you get uh your certified snowfall totals done <laughs> i know i, I did, know Northern uh, a couple of days ago i did uh yeah i'm responsible for new uh, new hampshire and vermont and i uh published my first two of the year hey. uh, on monday so uh there's another two states that will add to our uh, climbing total of uh states that have now reported snow across the United States. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be adding those uh states on as we go on through the next couple of weeks, but in the meantime, Brad, let's go to a quick break here and uh after the break, we'll have our chief meteorologist Jim Sullivan with us. Stay with us. Hey everybody, how many times have you been burned by a weather forecast? Well, there's probably been a few and it might have cost your business thousands. WeatherWorks is different. We have over 30 meteorologists to give you forecasts, notifications, and even weather advice 24-7. That could certainly help when it comes down to those crucial decisions. But there's even more products we offer from data to historical reports. 
Call us at 908-850-8600 or visit us on the web at weatherworksinc.com. And oh, don't forget, when you think weather, think Weatherworks. Hello and welcome back to the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller. And uh, once again, reintroducing my co-host, Mike Mahalik. And uh, Mike, uh, we've got our chief meteorologist here at Weatherworks, Jim Sullivan. And uh, he's going to talk about the upcoming winter outlook. And yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, this upcoming year uh, unfolds because there's a lot of talk about La Nina, mm-hmm. and you know there's other uh, factors involved here, and uh, it's you know that's why we have Jim, and uh, I can't wait to kind of you know pick his brain here over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Well, uh, rather than us talking about it, let's just bring in uh, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's right. Oh yeah. Oh. How's it going, guys? Yeah, pretty good, Jim. Uh, hey, so, uh, you know, we just wanted to get uh, talking about the winter outlook, obviously. But uh, before we do that, why don't we talk a little bit about yourself? Uh, let's say, let's start with your schooling. Where did you start? Yeah, so I, I went to, I got my degree in meteorology from Ohio University. Uh, so not the OSU, Ohio University. <laughs> You know, I I actually uh, briefly went to a community college in Cleveland uh, before I transferred to Ohio University. Um, You know, we call it OU, but in the meteorology field, that gets confusing because a lot of people refer to Oklahoma as OU. Um, So, yeah, started started at a community college, finished at Ohio University, uh, graduated in 2016. So already five years since my senior year. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, what even started your interest in the weather before you got into, you know, actually going to college for it? Uh, what was the big driver? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of people will point to some big weather event that happened when they were younger. I'm sort of the same way. Um, we had some severe weather events in Cleveland when I was younger, uh, in particular, a tornado that actually went right through my neighborhood in November of 2001, um, with a significant tornado outbreak veterans day. That might've been Oh two, one of those years. Um, but either way I was young for it. Hmm. So that, you know, that, and along with uh, trying to guess when we'd get our next snow day, I guess are kind of what got the interest started. And, um, obviously it kept going. I gotcha. So you went for your meteorology degree, obviously, but what made you so interested into long range versus just maybe your regular operational forecasting? Yeah, so honestly, that's kind of an interesting story as well. Um, So I I would say my interesting stories, doesn't he, Brad? (laughs) Well, I I think they're interesting. I don't know if everyone else thinks they're interesting, but um, yeah, so that's basically the interest in long range started because I used to, and I still occasionally do post on like weather forums or message boards. And, you know, back when I was younger, that was just yet another thing to kind of look into and and talk about on the weather boards and learn about. So at that that point, it was just kind of me having fun and uh, being interested in it. Obviously since then it's become a little more serious. Um, You know, weather works, can probably say that it's it, a lot of people don't do long range so you know if, if you find someone interested in it they'll definitely take an interest in it um right. just because it's you know they don't really teach it explicitly at college you know they, right. they do teach you bits and pieces um they give you a little base in undergrad but um unless you go to grad school and study something more specific you're not learning about it too much um 
I mean, there's so many things out there to keep track of, too, in long range, all the different patterns and oscillations. And, and one thing I just want to make sure our audience understands, when we talk about long range forecasting, too, we're not saying, you know, uh, in two weeks at 11 p.m., it's going to start snowing here. We're, we're talking in more of a long range where there's patterns involved and, um, you know, where we could see maybe a couple of months of below normal, above normal temperatures, or, you know, above right. normal snowfall. We're not actually picking a, a forecast point here two weeks from now and saying, well, it's going to be, you know, 38 degrees in Hackettstown with a mix of rain and snow. We're basically looking more towards trends and, like uh, Mike just said, oscillations and more like, you know, patterns that what we, we could uh, maybe predict a longer range right. uh, forecast for. To get the ball rolling here on the uh, forecast, uh, I hate to bring up a sore subject, Jim, but we got to talk a little bit about last year. A lot of people um, had a colder than normal and snowy winter for a lot of areas in the Northeast, um, but it didn't quite go that way. And I'm wondering if we could kind of rehash that and figure out, well, what actually went wrong with last year's forecast or 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 right. was something mistimed or what happened? Yeah, so biggest reason last winter ended up being so mild, and it was really the middle and latter portions of last winter. It actually was pretty chilly, like November into the first half of December. Um, some areas actually saw a substantial storm right, you know, the, the weekend after Thanksgiving um, from like Pennsylvania, upstate New York into New England. Um, they saw a big storm. But then after that, it warmed up and it really stayed warm until about April. And then it was um, annoyingly cold when we were ready for it to warm up. So basically what happened was the polar vortex, which is a feature that develops every fall in the stratosphere above the uh, North Pole. It got very strong. In fact, it was so strong that be between how cold it was and how strong the winds were with it, um, it was probably one of the strongest on record over at least the last 40 years. Um, once the polar vortex got strong, um, there were various patterns that might have caused a weaker polar vortex to break down, um, but it, it didn't break down. And that strong polar vortex contributed to cold air really staying locked up near the pole. Right. So it was not just the Eastern United States that was very mild the second half of last winter. It was really the whole country um, the northern plains close to the Canadian border got some cold air at times because it was cold over Canada, but that's about it. And then yeah. Europe was unbelievably mild, um, and so was a good chunk of Asia. So it really wasn't just us. You know, there were there were mixed signals going into the winter on whether or not the polar vortex would get strong or not. And what happened was the signals that suggested it would get strong ended up winning out. And then some things even changed as we got into winter um, and, and made it more favorable for that polar vortex to get strong. So there were some mixed signals heading into last winter, and unfortunately, almost everything broke the wrong way. And it was really early January when this happened. So through December, it was still quite possible that it would not be that mild of a winter. Um, but what happened in January was the polar vortex started getting strong in the stratosphere. And what it did was in winter, so usually... The troposphere, so I should define troposphere and stratosphere, I'm yeah, sure. That's probably good. because I'm sure some, uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> the troposphere is the level of the atmosphere we live in. It is where the vast majority of our weather happens. Right. Um, and the stratosphere is the level above it. Um, Basically going into space. Right. 
Um, there are there are a few other layers on top of the stratosphere, but uh, the yeah. stratosphere is the is really the only other level of the atmosphere that can kind of influence our weather. But it's usually from a distance. Most most of the year, um, there's a strong what we call temperature inversion between the troposphere and stratosphere. That means it actually gets warmer as you go higher up. And when that happens, um, weather phenomena tend to struggle to make it through that temperature inversion. Uh, but in winter, that inversion weakens to the point where occasionally the stratosphere and, and troposphere can interact with each other. And it's only in the winter months here in the northern hemisphere. Um, so I guess circling back to last winter, that stratospheric polar vortex got very strong in early January. And then it connected or coupled, as they say, with the troposphere. So basically you had a strong polar vortex, not only in the stratosphere, but in the troposphere from the ground all the way up. And it was, it's just very difficult to break that down once it happens. And that's really, that was kind of the death blow, if you will, yeah. to any hope for a cold and snowy winter was in early January when that happened. So, yeah. So if you're, if you're a cold and snow lover, you kind of want a weaker polar vortex, correct? Cause you want that yes, to kind of wobble around and have like ups and downs and ebbs and flows to it, where for, it does allow sure. the Arctic air to kind of move South and uh, you know, further down in latitude than, as you said, being locked up all winter long where it just Absolutely. doesn't have much, uh, right. Much uh, change then to it. Now, the funny thing about last winter, Jim, is that uh, it seemed like maybe the polar vortex broke down, but very late. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but we had pretty uh, pretty cold air that was all the way into even portions of early May. I remember getting snow flurries on uh, Mother's Day weekend last it year. It snowed here in northern New Jersey on May 8th and May 9th. Yeah. And yeah, that is when the polar vortex finally broke down. <laughs> Um, a lot of years as a whole polar vortex was basically uh, right. It basically goes away too in the spring and doesn't come back again. Yeah, it, so yeah. I guess so it was breaking down and leaving and dissipating. Right, and so every year it starts spinning up in the early fall. Um, so it's in the process of that right now. This year, right. it's nothing unusual. And every year it breaks down in the spring. Um, there's what we call a final warming. That is when the polar vortex um, kind of splits for the last time and falls apart for good. Um, and that can happen anywhere between March and April. Last year, it was rather late. It was in April. Um, and sometimes that final warming, if if the pattern otherwise allows, can send like one last shot of colder air um, south. And I almost wonder if the polar vortex remaining that strong that long contributed to our unusual late season chill because... Um, that that kept cold air locked up to our north well into the spring, um, and it, sure. it dipped south once it finally broke down. All right. Well, hey, Jim, uh, enough about last winter, because we don't want to keep beating the dead horse here, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> let's move on to this winter. So um, let's start with, um, you know, the, the temperature and precipitation outlook for this year. We're going to get into all the the of the forecast of La Nina and sea surface temperatures in a little bit. But first, let's just talk temperature and precip, uh, precipitation patterns across the United States. All right. So I guess we'll start with temperature. And I guess we'll start with where we favor kind of mild and cold conditions over the whole winter. So there will be ebbs and flows. This is like the average forecast for the 12 or 13 week season. There will be ups and downs within that. Um, so generally speaking, we think it'll be colder than normal across the Pacific Northwest, 
uh, the northern Rockies into the northern plains and the Great Lakes. We think it'll be milder than normal across most of the southern United States, um, from the Four Corners, across the Gulf Coast into the southeast, um, up the east coast into the mid-Atlantic and northeast and towards the Ohio Valley. Um, we think it'll, in general, lean mild, as in you'll have a few more mild days than you have cold days, but it's not going to be mild all the way across, especially towards the Ohio Valley and New England. I think there's a fair amount of cold air worked in at times. I just think there will be warm-ups also mixed in um, during like the months of January and February in particular that'll, I think, cause things to lean mild, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be like what we had last winter where it was just mild straight through. Can we, is, is there a reason, is there, is, is the Southeast Ridge, is it stronger than usual this year? I mean, I know we're heading into a La Nina year as well. I mean, are there, what are the, uh, what are the main ingredients for, for all this kind of reasoning? Yeah, so that is this kind of the starting point of the forecast is a La Nina. And I, I guess this would be a good time to kind of explain what La Nina is. Um, it is the relative of, of El Nino. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say the relative of El Nino, but it is the opposite of El right. Nino. Um, and what those two are, those are two um, different developments in water temperature patterns across the equatorial Pacific. So mm-hmm. in El Nino is when the waters along the equator in the Pacific are warmer than normal. A La Nina is the opposite. They're colder than normal across the equator in the Pacific. So we're heading into a La Nina. We're in a La Nina, I should say. It's moderately strong right now. Um, and I think it'll be moderately strong uh, for the winter. May flirt with strong, although I'm not sure if it quite quite gets there. But still, it's a solid event. Um, and what that means is, yeah, that kind of gives us the basis of the pattern I just described. Uh, because La Nina and El Nino, they influence where very large persistent clusters of thunderstorms occur in the tropics. Um, and those thunderstorms in the tropics, they give off an incredible amount of heat, so much so that in the upper levels of the atmosphere, they reach, they can shape the jet stream across the entire globe through the mm. year, um, especially in the winter months when the jet stream is stronger um, than in the summer months. So basically, a La Nina um, favors a somewhat weaker jet stream across the central and eastern Pacific. Um, so what that means is that can induce a ridge in the jet stream, if you will. That's when the jet stream kind of goes up and around um, somewhere in the central Pacific. And then it comes down on the east side of that towards the northwestern United States. So that's kind of why we favor cold there. And then when you get cold air there, you often get a southeast ridge, as Brad mentioned, um, over the southern and southeastern U.S., which brings mild or warm conditions to the southeast, it can also send that mild air up the east coast and into the Ohio Valley even um, if there's nothing to stop it. Yeah, it's so funny. I was just the whole time you're talking about El Nino and La Nina. Uh, <laughs> I kept thinking of that Chris Farley sketch. Do you remember this, Brad, when he did the mm-hmm. whole El Nino thing uh, in oh, yeah. Saturday Night Live? Yeah. yeah, I don't know why. Look it up on YouTube, guys, if you want to see something pretty funny. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, Chris Farley El Nino sketch is what I'm thinking of right now. But yeah, uh, I think I remember that one. Um, but back to the forecast, Jim. Sorry for that aside. I just had no, to no problem. That. But uh, um, so we we'll have a La Nina pattern going on. So what does that do as far as the precipitation outlook? I know it influences that somewhat. We have that baseline there, but what does right. that precipitation outlook look like? 
Yeah, so the precipitation outlook, we're thinking it'll be wetter than normal in the Pacific Northwest into the Northern Rockies. Um, and that'll mean a lot of mountain snow up there. Um, well, unfortunately, in La Niña's, it's often drier than normal um, across the Southwest. That can include like Southern California. Um, so it might be a, a slow year down there, which is bad because they're in quite a drought down there in the desert Southwest. So they can yeah, use some precipitation. Those fires have been ridiculous. And right. Um, so might not be the best news there, especially the farther south you go. Um, heading towards the eastern United States, um, it, I do think it'll be active with above normal precipitation from parts of the Great Lakes, Ohio Valley, Midwest, into New England. And that that's kind of because the cold over the uh, Midwest will be battling with that southeast ridge. You'll get a temperature gradient. You'll get a lot of systems in that area. And that means a lot of precipitation. Uh, it might not all be snow, uh, but I don't think uh, I think that drought in New England, which has actually gotten quite significant over the last few months i do think there will be some relief in fact they've already kind of seen that they had they got two good rain events uh, yeah. last week yeah they, they've um, had some uh, relief uh just in the last last yeah it was a two storms i think a couple of one to two inch uh two inch rainers right and you know you're not going to get rid of a drought like that in a week or two but i do think over the next few months we'll slowly uh chip away at that yeah so i mean we're going to go into the snowfall outlook for the season a little bit later uh, in the uh, in the podcast, so something to look forward to, people uh, who are listening out there. Um, but uh, yeah, we need to go through exactly what we are looking at, Jim, here for um, the long range outlook because it's not just La Nina. Um, there's right. a lot more that goes into it that I think a lot of people don't really realize uh, when we're making these forecasts. So I guess we'll, yeah, I'll kind of go go down the checklist of various things that we looked at. Um, not only is it important to determine whether or not we're in an El Nino, a La Nina, or neither, um, it's important to figure out how strong it is and where exactly it is located. Because you can have a La Nina event where the colder waters are focused close to South America. You can have a La Nina event where they're focused closer to the international dateline. I mean, that's thousands of miles, so that that apart. So that can significantly influence the pattern. Um, you know, this is the same thing with El Nino. Some of you weather junkies might hear the term El Nino Madoki get thrown around when we're coming up in an El Nino winter. Um, that is supposedly the snowier version of El Nino, so us snow fanatics get very excited if we see that coming around. Well, I guess let's talk about where this La Nina is focused before I stray too far. Um, all right, all right, sorry. No, yeah, no, that's not a problem. A good little segue, unintentional, but it works. So this La Nina, it is central in general. If the La Nina is based in the central Pacific, the cooler waters are focused closer to the international dateline. That tends to be warmer overall over the eastern United States than if the waters are focused, cooler waters are focused closer to South America. Okay. This one, it looks like, it is leaning east-based or maybe kind of a hybrid. It's definitely not central-based. It is focused a little farther east than that. Um, and the reason that is important, I think, um, and there, there are some papers on this that kind of speculate a little more in-depth than what I'm doing, but the, the theory is, is when the waters are focused farther east, that does allow those thunderstorms I mentioned. So during a La Nina, the thunderstorms, in the tropics tend to focus closer to the Indian Ocean, maybe Australia. Hmm. Um, 
if those waters are cooler farther east, that that gives room for the Western Pacific to still be quite warm, which can allow those thunderstorms to drift into the Western Pacific. Um, and that the farther we get those thunderstorms into the Pacific, um, the better that is um, to get if you want colder air over the central and eastern United States. So the theory is is that those thunderstorms can shift a little bit farther east in a more east-based La Nina and um, it does look like that can happen at times this year. Um, it's kind of happening right now. It's kind of contributing to these cool shots we're getting at times through the month of October um, that have brought some frosts and freezes and even some snow to places like the Midwest. Um, you know, Des Moines, Iowa got a kind of unexpected half a foot of snow this morning um, right before we recorded this and it happened in a few hours. So you know, that, that pattern that we're going to be watching for in winter, kind of caused by that eastern-based La Nina, has already kind of uh, reared its head here in the fall months. Now the question is, does it change? Um, can we get the La Nina to drift more towards the central Pacific? It is actually unusual um, for it to significantly change from fall to winter. So if that holds true, it does look like we're at least leaning towards the quote-unquote better kind of La Nina if you want cold and snow chances in the central and eastern United States. Hmm. Definitely interesting uh, there uh, about La Nina. But, you know, Jim, it's not just La Nina. Like, we have other places that we got to look at the surface water temperatures, too, especially in the uh, western and north Pacific, also in the North Atlantic. Um, yeah. So what, what, what keys do you see coming out of those places? All right, so I guess we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of go around the horn. So let's maybe round out the tropics here, and I'll uh, I'll mention briefly the Indian Ocean. Um, so there's what we call the Indian Ocean dipole, um, and and that kind of touches on the difference in temperature and water temperature between like the coast of Africa, the eastern coasts of Africa, and closer to Australia, and uh, Last year, it was, um, gosh, let me pull up last winter's um, outlook. Yeah, or, I go ahead. Last year, yeah, the, the, the this East Indian, is it East Indian Dipole? Is that, am I right on that? Or Indian Dipole? It, it's just kind of call, called the Indian Ocean Dipole. Okay. Um, I, know, I know there was a, a, a huge uh, anomaly coming out of there that really kind of influenced right. the pattern a lot last winter, which might have right. kind of helped out with that whole strengthening polar vortex um that we yep. talked about earlier in the program yeah you're right on the money with that um Look so that. last winter we had a strong positive indian ocean dipole which meant that there were warm waters near africa cool waters near australia indonesia the canadian maritimes down there um and that can signal a stronger polar vortex it also can signal a more positive North Atlantic oscillation, uh, which is unfavorable for Northeast U.S. snow when that's positive. Hmm. So last year, it wasn't just positive, it was strongly positive. And if you recall earlier, I said there were some mixed signals heading into last winter. This was one of those signals that did point to potentially a stronger polar vortex. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately, nothing was really able to overcome it, which makes sense because it was quite strong. One of the stronger positive Indian Ocean dipole events on record. Um, this year, it is leaning opposite. At worst, it's neutral. 
Um, and you can argue that maybe it'll be weekly uh, negative this fall, which means cooler into the winter, which means cooler waters closer to Africa, warmer waters closer to Australia and Indonesia. Um, so that is different than last year. Um, we'll see if it is strong enough, you know, along with maybe that hybrid or east-based La Nina to encourage a somewhat better pattern um, that beats back that southeast rigid time. So, yeah, the good news is I don't think we're going to have the Indian Ocean problems that we did last year, um, but there, there are still other things to consider. Right. Now, uh, talking about the North Pacific, as we go a little bit around the Horn, like you were saying before, um, right. I, I think there's uh, warmer than normal water up there and typically tries to work on uh, inducing a high pressure over there. Um, is that what you're seeing or not? Yeah, so in general, the North Pacific is um, is mild, um, and and the industry that sort of captures that is the PDO or Pacific Decadal Oscillation. Um, if any of you weather nerds want to Google these uh, during or after the podcast <laughs> and learn a little more, um, I right a now at the end of this, <laughs> so it's uh, PDO. Uh, you know, we have IOD, IOD, El Nino, Polar Vortex, a lot of a lot of good uh, alphabet soup, if you will. There you go. Um, but basically, if the polar or if the PDO is positive, um, that means there's warmer water up the west coast of North America and cooler water over the Northwest Pacific. Um, if it's negative, it's the opposite. You have warmer water over the Northwest Pacific, colder water off the West Coast. Um, right now, the whole thing is kind of just warm. Um, there has been some cooling of the waters um, kind of near the Aleutian Islands. The Aleutian Islands are that chain of islands that kind of extend southwest off of Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, so we're talking about the North Central Pacific. There is some cooling there with very warm waters up the West Coast of the United States. So that it, it right now it's a rather neutral PDO because it's just kind of warm everywhere. Although if that trend continued, maybe it would trend slightly positive. It's it's unusual to get a positive PDO in La Nina. Um, typically in a La Nina you get a negative PDO, and in El Nino you get a positive PDO. Um, some exceptions, but not very common. So we'll see if that keeps up. That might be yet another sign that there is some hope for some colder intrusions in the central and eastern United States. Um, as Mike touched on before uh, I started my spiel, um, the, those warm waters, it's those waters farther north, they don't quite have the influence on the pattern as those waters in the tropics. Um, so they're almost a reflection of ongoing long-term patterns. Um, but that warm water on the west coast does kind of say that all spring and summer, we've been getting a ridge in the jet stream there. And is that something that's going to break down? It may not be because this La Nina has been developing since spring. Mm -hmm. And you can argue pretty strongly that it influenced our weather pattern in the summer. So that ridge in the jet stream has been there um, in the face of this developing La Nina mm -hmm. all spring and summer. So is that something that at least at times, especially early in the winter, um, pops up? It definitely could be. Well, and, and a ridge a lot of times over Alaska, at least in the wintertime, usually means that the East Coast and Northeast are a little more troughy than, than not. Um, right. Because that would kind of, you know, keep the keep well, it would keep the warmer and, and you know, I guess uh, less active weather out West. And that would bring the trough across the East then. 
Right, for sure. So, yeah, if that ridge extends into Alaska, it can be a good thing. Um, there, it, it does need to be in the right spot because right. if the ridge is, is off the West Coast and into Alaska, um, you can get the cold shots kind of right straight down the Rockies, which is not a good pattern for East Coast cold. But if it's like along the West Coast and extends into Alaska... Right. It can funnel in far enough east that it um, cools off most of the central and eastern U.S. So, um, it, yeah, we have seen some ridging into Alaska in particular this month. Um, and the question is, does that persist into winter? Because a lot of times in La Nina, that ridging um, can focus a little farther west, which isn't as good. That, that's why the southeast ridge is a common feature in some La Ninas. Yeah, I, I, I had a question, though, Jim. You know, we're talking about the ridging going on in the west. Now, does the there's the west portion of the United States has been having a pretty extreme drought, um, right. especially with all the wildfires and things like that. Now, is that going to have any effect on the placement of that ridges? Uh, so I think the the drought is more an effect of the ridge that's been there all summer. Um, so it, it's more a reflection of a very persistent pattern that is yet to break down, really. So it's it's not going to drive the pattern. It could locally maybe enhance ridging, especially over the desert southwest, um, where the drought is most significant and where sometimes you can get a ridge in these La Nina winters anyway. So it, it could kind of point to, it, much like the warm waters off the west coast do, just a persistent pattern that maybe doesn't break down, especially in the early parts of winter, which could favor yeah, a ridge on the west coast and colder weather farther east. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's certainly interesting. I was just curious about that. Um, now, it wasn't trying to lead you in any direction whatsoever. <laughs> no <laughs> I <was> problem. Just, <laughs> I was just trying to see if that would infect the pattern uh, at all. It's, it's, it kind of uh, piggybacks off those warm waters off the West Coast. So it's kind of all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, this ridge this summer has, has caused those waters to warm. It's caused a severe drought, exceptional drought. So it is a persistent feature, that's for sure. Hmm. Yes, uh, certainly. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about sea surface waters uh, for the most part. And, um, you know, I don't know if we actually explained why we talk about sea surface waters too much. We talked a little bit about that. But what is the big uh, why are the sea surface water temperatures so important? Well, basically because well, the big reason is the ocean has a much longer memory, if you will, than the air. Hmm, um, it, like takes, it takes a lot more work to change those sea surface temperature anomalies than it does the air. Um, so those, those patterns, um, they take time to develop and then they take time to break down. So, you know, we, we can use similar, we can use years that have similar water temperature patterns to this year and see what happened into those winters. Um, just because there, there's a lot of heat in the ocean, it, it does drive a large portion of the pattern and it doesn't change as quickly as the atmosphere. So um, it, it can help with predicting into the future. I'm just thinking of the listener at home thinking, you know, well, he keeps talking about sea surface temperature. Why are we <laughs> even talking about this stuff? I mean, what does it have to do right. with the atmosphere? You know, so, you know, I just think it's good that we kind of explain a little bit um about why that was occurring now um i guess the only sea surface temperature that we didn't really talk about was the north atlantic uh, i know there can be um signals there that might loosely be associated with some blocking 
Um, but are we seeing any type of signs out of the North Atlantic this year? Yeah, so the, it's a sea surface temperature pattern. It's over the North Atlantic towards, it's off the coast of like um, Nova Scotia, no, pardon me, Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. <laughs> I don't know where Nova Scotia um, is. <laughs> up towards Greenland and Iceland. It's called uh, the North Atlantic Tripool. Um, and back in the day, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, the UK Met Office, um, Meteorology Office, they'd, they'd uh, put out their forecast for the North Atlantic Oscillation, which is a blocking feature that can develop in the jet stream near Greenland. They would put out their forecast for the NAO for the winter, and a lot of it would be based on that North Atlantic tripole. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing a bunch of words here. A long story short, um, those water temperature patterns up there, they, they now incorporate other things like they try and they use models to try and predict the strength of the polar vortex, um, El Nino, La Nina, a lot more goes into it. But uh, what I'm getting at is uh, back in the day, this was a key forecast tool for the NAO. Um, and this spring and summer, the temperature pattern in the ocean up there did look more like what typically precedes a negative NAO winter. Um, so a negative NAO, that's when there is a big ridge in the jet stream. Somewhere near Greenland or Iceland, there, there can be some west to east variability. It can be as far west as the Canadian Maritimes. It can be as far east as, as Iceland. Uh, but that block in the jet stream um, can encourage snowy, stormy conditions across the northeast United States um, and also the UK. So it's very important, arguably more important across the pond. Uh, we can get cold other ways, but they really can't. Um, so it's an important feature. And just the, the sea surface temperatures lean towards that negative NAO or blocking patterns. Um there are, as I mentioned, other things that can try and go into the NAO forecast at this point, um, but that is a starting point, if you will. And we always talk about the block and the NAO. So basically what that is, right, is it, it's creating traffic uh, in the Atlantic, right, is, I guess, right. a good way to describe it to folks that are listening. Uh, you know, the, the slower the traffic, then more and more stuff can kind of back up, if you will. Yep. And yep. it'll create, you know, more and more storminess, active systems. And, you know, one one storm goes off the East Coast and then the next one comes. And eventually they slow down to the point where one of them is going to bring with it a good snowfall for the. Uh, it feels like we haven't had a good normal, if you will, nor'easter, Jim, in, in years. We haven't. I no. mean, we, we've had, you know, our little clippers and they come across. New England's had a few. But it just seems like New York City and like the you know DC. This haven't Philly. Well, of course Philly. I haven't had any snow in really two years. But you know, it just seems like we haven't had that classic nor'easter for like the big cities in a while. Haven't there have not been many. Um, the last winter that really had a solid negative NAO for a good portion of it was the winter of 2012 and 2013. Now mm. there, it, it wow. has appeared at times since then, but for a winter as a whole. Uh, they've yeah. all been neutral or positive since then. Um, or the most recent negative NAO that was that that was anything of consequence was March of 2018, um, and that that month was crazy. Oh, that's right. Like, we had like four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like five nor'easters. Um, the United Kingdom had some of their coldest temperatures in a long time, um, and and was snowy. So that was the last good negative NAO. Um, you know, I'll say signals are mixed this year. So I think we'll see it at times, especially early in winter and maybe again, late in winter. 
Um, so we'll see if those those bouts of negative NAO that are worked in are enough to cash in. I was gonna say I'm ready for a white Christmas. It's been a while, and, and I'm ready for <laughs> full fledged, you know. And I, I'm just not talking about a couple of you know patches of snow on the ground from something that happened like mid December. I want like a December 23rd or a Christmas Eve snowstorm for a change. Just you know, it's been a while. Well, <laughs> absolutely. And but, it maybe you know snow two or three days before, and then it's on the ground, but you can enjoy right. the holiday. Yeah, that All might right. be a good deal. Um, but uh, man, that March 2018. I don't want to get started on that. That that was, uh, you know, you were looking for spring and signs of spring. Like, when is spring coming? And, man, it you would know, just that, not let up. It, that year was such a head fake because there was record warmth in February. Like, it oh, was right. It was in the 80s in a yeah. lot of the big I-95 cities. Um, I think it even got to 80 here um, and, and near WeatherWorks headquarters in northwest New Jersey. And then and then we got all that snow in March. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was just insane. And, and that uh, the AO during that time, I believe, um, wasn't it record negative uh, when that yeah, happened? It, it, it turned quite negative. Um, and. That that was kind of a good example of how the polar vortex and the stratosphere can influence things because the polar vortex got fairly strong in the middle of that winter, um, and that's when we warmed up. But then the polar vortex weakened dramatically, and it even split um, in late February. And it usually takes a week or two after a split happens like that to really reap the benefits if you will but we did in march and then it didn't stop until early april it even snowed the day after easter pretty substantially in a lot of areas <laughs> yeah and, and to just for those that uh, who are listening you know we're generally located in the northeast here um our headquarters is in uh, northwest new jersey so when we're talking about like it snowed late you know a lot of times you know we're not talking about colorado you know <laughs> We're talking about the Northeast for the most part when we're kind of generalizing that. Just so you know, uh, in the Northeast, in that March 2018 was a pretty uh, uh, pretty snowy time. But Jim, uh, before we get on to the snowfall outlook, I think we're going to take one little break here. So Yeah, I'm going to go get my glossary so I can look up all these terms. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Brad, while you're uh, go getting your uh, glossary and uh, Jim is getting a cup of coffee, uh, we'll take a break here, and then after that, we'll come back with that snowfall outlook everybody's been looking for. So stay with us. You're listening to The Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, here in the Weather Lounge, and uh, we continue our conversation with our chief meteorologist here at WeatherWorks, uh, Jim Sullivan. And uh, Jim, we've talked about all the different teleconnections with the uh, negative uh, Arctic oscillation, the blocking, the uh, dipoles, and uh, ENSO with uh, South American waters and El Nino. So. <laughs> Without further ado, before we get to our snowfall forecast stuff, can we talk about like woolly bear caterpillars and any kind of folklore now we can add into the mix to really predict our winter? Gosh, I don't know. I haven't seen a woolly bear myself. Uh, it, it was out in the woods for a few hours on Saturday, and I did see some fat squirrels, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> Bushy-tailed squirrels, I believe, yeah. are the ones you're looking for. Well, well, you know what? We actually we're going to have a podcast here in the coming months, uh, just based on 
uh, weather folklore, not just winter, but, uh, you know, the groundhog and, you know, red skies at night and things like that. So, uh-huh. so look forward to that. But, um, yeah, so we're, we're ready to talk about our snowfall forecast here now, uh, Jim, as we, uh, get ready to, uh, wrap up this podcast. So, uh, tell us what you think. Well, okay. So with the caveat that snowfall is probably the trickiest variable to predict, um, going out in time, um, we're favoring more snow than normal across the Pacific Northwest, especially in those mountains into the Northern Rockies down to somewhere around the, the Colorado uh, Wyoming border points North. Um, that's because we expect a pretty active jet stream into that area. We expect it to be pretty cold um, and, and active. So good amount of snow, especially in the mountains. Um, also think the Northern Great Lakes into Northern New England and Northern upstate New York will be snowier than normal. Even with that southeast ridge coming up the east coast sometimes with mild air, um, those areas are, are so cold in the middle of winter that little mild weather doesn't mean it won't snow that far north. In right. fact, a little mild weather might even be good because it comes with more moisture, which can produce more snow. And um, honestly, a few degrees warmer you know, when you're skiing up there in those mountains in northern New England probably isn't a bad thing, you know, so it'll be 20 degrees instead of like 10 Um <laughs> So, and I think that's important for people uh, to realize out there that just because it's above normal doesn't mean it won't snow at all. Right, um, especially the farther north you go, that's that's a key point to remember. But uh, heading on down uh, further south, Jim. Uh, so across the desert southwest and southern California, less mountain snow than normal. Um, you know, places like Los Angeles, Phoenix, the big cities, um, you're going to get your typical no snowfall. Um, and tons of snow in Phoenix. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And then across the rest of the Southeast, uh, you know, heading towards the Southeast, also generally less snowfall than average. Um, again, that doesn't mean it won't snow at all. Um, we can get some briefer cold shots that bring some opportunities for snow farther South, but, um, we're favoring less snowfall than average across the southeast um, into the southern mid-Atlantic as well. Once you get closer to the Mason-Dixon line and then farther north towards New York City points north, probably closer to normal. Um, maybe you come in a little bit less snowy than average, but definitely snowier than last year, I would say, and pretty much pretty much across the board. And um, could be a fair amount of mixed precipitation events in there as well. Uh, kind of near the Mason-Dixon line, um, points north into New England. Yeah, now, that's something I was uh, going to ask about is those mixed events. Does this look like a year that we could have a little bit more of the uh, freezing rain or ice storms? Because I got to tell you, I mean, we had a few ice storms around here last year in the uh, uh, Pennsylvania and uh, New Jersey, but... I don't know if I remember like a good, like good full-fledged ice storm in a while. Yeah, this is the type of winter that can produce uh, some ice or mixed precipitation events um, from like the Ohio Valley into the Appalachians um, and into New England, just because those areas, there's going to be a a sharp temperature contrast somewhere in that region through most of the season Mm. where it's cold to the north, it's mild to the south or southeast, and you know, systems will ride along that gradient and you'll get all sorts of precipitation types. Uh, they won't be all snow. They probably won't be all rain either, um, especially in the Appalachians um, into New England. That is a classic area for some ice events. 
Um, it, it, it happens even in mild winters like last year, there were, there were a few. So I do think that corridor will see just because of the temperature gradient and the ups and downs through the winter, you'll, there, there'll be opportunities for mixed precipitation events, including, uh, some freezing rain. Yeah. Now, granted, we don't want uh, giant ice storms, even though, like I said, I haven't seen a big one for a while in my hometown. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we don't want those big ice storms because of all the power outages and down trees and everything else that can occur. Right. Um, but it's good to know that there is a little bit more uh, potential there for mixed events um, across the area there. And, uh, you know, Brad had mentioned woolly bears. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not gonna totally go off onto woolly bears and 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 geese and whatever it may be or snow geese, um, but uh, what about some other um, uh, things that people look at out there like the Siberian snow cover or sunspots or or things of right. that nature? I mean, I know you probably looked at it, Jim. I'm just curious uh, uh, what's that showing or if it's even yeah. useful right now. Um, with the past. Yeah, so yeah, so I guess we'll start with the Siberian snow cover. Um, that is a theory that has been very popular over the last several de- years, I'd say most of this decade, um, that faster snow cover advance in Eurasia, in particular Siberia, in the fall months um, can kind of hint at a, a pattern in winter that's colder over Western Europe, the Eastern United States, basically more high latitude blocking like the NAO or the AO. Um, And it can also hint at a weaker polar vortex, which we talked about quite a bit earlier. This correlation, it's really the whole month of October. So it's October 19th today. So it's a little early to kind of get the full read on it. Um, It's kind of middle of the pack so far um, through the first few weeks of the month. Um, And so it can still trend up or down over the last 10, 11 days of the month. Um, So at at this point, it's a little early to speculate. And it's worth pointing out that that correlation, just like everything else, it it is not a silver bullet. It's not going to 100% of the time give you a good idea of what to forecast. It's just something we factor in along with everything else. Yeah, and I think that's important uh, to talk about, too, because... I mean, with long range forecasting, I feel like everybody's looking for that one thing that says, okay, this is directly correlated with (laughs) cold and snow. Um, Right. People have looked at, you know, hurricane activity, which is off the charts this year. um, And how that's a no, right? (laughs) You know, you know, so it's like, you know, the problem is there's so many different things uh, that that go into what a winter could look like that you just don't have that one solution. Like I'd say the, I mean, the probably the closest thing is like El Nino, La Nina being very strong. But even even the, yeah, but even that you can get some variability even with the moderate to strong events. Um, you know they don't all look alike. Well, well, you know, a lot of people always ask me, like, what goes into for what's not only like short term forecast, which when we do operational forecasts for our clients, things like that, but even long term forecast, you know, a lot of folks will ask me, they'll say, well, what, you know, they'll make the joke about, you know, forecasters and meteorologists, whatever they want to say, but they'll ask a serious question, like, you know, what goes into a forecast? And and I'll tell them it's it's almost like we're, we're chefs or we're cooks in a kitchen. And when you think about it, if you're going for that perfect, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're trying to cook the perfect cake, 
And basically, in, in, in the wintertime, use this like, a snowstorm as an example. If you don't have all the ingredients right there, okay, you can't get that perfect snowstorm. But if you have a little bit too much of this or a little bit less than you need of this, then other parts of a forecast area may suffer because of that, whether it's a temperature that's not as cold as it's supposed to be or precipitation is right. lacking in a certain area. So basically, I, I, when I tell folks, you know, what goes into a forecast, well, a bunch of ingredients. And if all the ingredients are there, they all come together. And this this holds true for summertime, too. You know, it, it then you'll get your storm or you get your snowstorm or you get your hurricane. So same thing with long term forecasting. And that's kind of what, what we're getting at here and, and what Jim is trying to tell us all about these. You know, we have La Nina. We have all these different oscillations. Do we have the NAO? You know, do we have the blocking? Do we have a cross polar flow for the Siberian <laughs> cold air to reach its way across the Arctic into the North American continent you know again all this stuff goes together and if one thing's off or one thing's lacking then voila it just throws another you know wrench into the whole forecast right exactly i think brad that's a definitely a great point uh to bring up and yeah, we're like we're like cooks in the kitchen <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I never thought of myself as a cook um no uh, I, I stink at cooking <laughs> but uh uh, I did want to ask one more thing because I know we get uh, questions about this an awful lot is about the sunspots. I've seen it on, mm. um, you know, some comments on our YouTube outlooks and things like that. And people right. are wondering about what, what are the sunspots uh, doing and, and how does that influence the forecast? Well, no, how, how the woolly bear caterpillars react to the less sunspots? That are... <laughs> well, I think sunspots have a little bit more than woolly bear caterpillars, <laughs> but uh, let's have Jim uh, answer that. So basically, sunspots ebb and flow through through a cycle, um, and we are coming out of a minimum in the sunspot cycle. So sunspots are still quite low; they're quiet. Um, why we care is there is a fair amount of research that suggests that where we are in the solar cycle does have some correlation to the winter weather pattern here in the northern hemisphere. Um, like everything else, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, silver bullet, anything like that. Uh, but in general, um, the research says when sunspots are at a minimum, um, in general, the polar vortex is weaker in the stratosphere, and there can be more blocking, quote-unquote, like the NAO, in the troposphere where we live and where we care. Um, that's And the effect is strongest right during the minimum and for the couple years after, which is where we are now. Um, this is obviously not a silver bullet because last year we were in the solar minimum still and we still had a strong polar vortex and a lack of high latitude blocking. Right. Um, so other things can still trump it, but, um, you know, that is where we are. We're coming out of a, a very deep, quiet solar minimum. So if, if other things are maybe, you know, a toss up 50-50, maybe this nudges us towards a weaker polar vortex and a little more high latitude blocking. Um, but, you know, again, there, there are mixed signals, much like there were last year um, in that regard. And that is one that does favor more of that blocking. Hmm. So, you know, for the listeners out there, we covered a lot of maps and a lot of, you know, normal, below normal, a lot of oscillations, all that kind of stuff. So, I just want to let everybody know that we will have a free webinar on October 29th at 11:30. Um, the link is in the sh in the show notes. If you want to go to that, you can register for that free webinar, and Jim will have 
a lot of maps in there. Um, have Colorful it, maps, yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, to explain a little bit, because, you know, it's hard in, in an audio format like a podcast right. to try to get across those points of what he's talking about. But um, in that way, yeah, we, we invite everyone, whether hobbyists, I mean, uh, you know, whether uh, just uh, people that just want to follow the weather and get an update. Yeah. So just 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 check out the show notes and that uh, registration link will be in there. So please uh, visit that and you're totally welcome to uh, be in that webinar um, about the winter outlook. Um, but my last question, Jim, is what is the biggest monkey wrench that you could see going into this winter season um it is whether or not high latitude blocking plays out um because like i said there are mixed signals and i i do worry that the polar vortex does get kind of strong in the middle of winter um but i think we a lot of our analog years years with similar large-scale patterns to this year um and a couple of recent analogs include the winners of 2017-18 and 2016-17. Um, a lot of those analogs, they start pretty cold with some high latitude blocking. They moderate at some point in January or February, and then maybe they finish cold. Um, so if we don't have high latitude blocking early or late, um, that could ruin you know, the potential for snow at the beginning or end of the year. And if something pops up in the middle of winter, that could throw a monkey wrench in that potential mild spell. Hmm. So, you know, like I said, the high latitude, like, you know, we know there's going to be a moderate La Nina. We know it's probably central or east based. We know what the Indian Ocean looks like. But that high latitude blocking, there's a lot of mixed signals. So I'm guessing what happens is it ends up being there at times and going away at other times. Um, but exactly when that happens and how long certain phases of blocking or no blocking last will, um, you know, for, for areas on the fringe, like, say, southern New England, the Ohio Valley, the Mid-Atlantic into the, um, you know, mid-Mississippi Valley, areas that are kind of between where we think it'll be cold and snowy and where it'll be milder, that could make quite a difference exactly how that plays out through the winter. Wow. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I... I, I... You know, just want to see what were the potential, you know, uh, things that could go wrong with this forecast because, you know, it can. Um, but I, I think uh, we got a pretty good handle on this year, Jim, as far as I can see. <laughs> well, we hope so. But as always, we'll be always monitoring and updating as, as needed. Well, I, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Brad, did you have any more questions for our guest here? No, I think we're... Uh... We're square. I think uh, you know that. I think that webinar would be really uh, a, a good, uh, yeah. a good fun thing yeah. to uh, attend there. And then, like you said, in audio format's tough when you have a podcast. You know, it's sure. you try to visualize everything, and weather is not the easiest thing to visualize, especially when you're talking about all these different, uh, you know, uh, oscillations. And you know, we're talking about stratosphere and troposphere, and it's <laughs> it's tough. So yeah, I mean, a webinar. If you're really interested in the weather, you really want to uh, understand uh, more of what we were just talking about and actually see it, you know, with Jim, uh, that's, uh, I think that's going to be a, a great, uh, topic to, to enjoy. And it's free, you know, it's free, free weather. And here, you know, I thought you were going to bring up whirly ball. Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talk about that. If anyone out there has ever played whirly ball, I've never played it, but Jim is a, a whirly bird, ex, uh, whirly bird I, expert. 
Orly ball X. I guess you could say I'm an expert. I worked there for about nine years through high school and college, and wow. even a couple of years after before I came to Jersey. So, well, then well, he can't leave us hanging. What exactly is Whirly? What? Oh, I guess yeah. What is Whirly ball? It's a game. You're in a bumper car. You have a plastic scoop, kind of like a shortened lacrosse stick, and you pass a wiffle ball around to each other, and you try and score on baskets on either end of the court. It's kind of like basketball and bumper cars with a with a scooping a wiffle ball oh my god <laughs> wow uh, so, yeah closest closest one to new jersey is cleveland um there's one in toronto there's there's a few in chicago a few in detroit um, is drinking involved with this game mike uh jim you know i don't know if i want to say it's directly involved but i'm pretty <laughs> sure i'm pretty sure every whirly ball has a bar located just a few feet from the court so oh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster if i ever heard yeah. one. oh my goodness it's fun it's fun well yeah. <laughs> jim thanks for the explanation on whirly ball but uh i'd like to thank you even more um uh, for the winter outlook and 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 taking us through what you're looking at so thanks for being with us today yeah you're welcome and uh, Brad, uh, let's just wrap it up here. Um, hey, uh, as a reminder, our next podcast will be on November 4th, and that's with John Crandall yeah. uh, from JC Grounds Management. A uh, real good podcast there uh, for anybody who's in snow and ice management as far as, you know, strategies, uh, getting prepared for the winter, how he may be preparing differently for this type of winter, uh, and even some stories from out there in the in the plowing i mean i know uh brad uh, i know you were in that podcast too a real great episode yeah john's a great guy uh you know very uh informative and uh you know it's a lot of great topics like we said uh, about snow removal and you know he's been a client of uh, weatherworks for a long time and uh just a down-to-earth guy that you know just uh continues uh, with his business through a you know a tough time right now with the pandemic and then uh not only that, we've had a couple of odds and ends with the with the snow these last few years. And he's in New England. I mean, he's had it's like been feast or famine. It seems like up there the last couple of years. You know, they got crushed a couple of years ago, and then they had a really light year with snow. But you know, the show must go on, and uh, you got to prepare always for the worst up there. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be our next episode. So please come back and visit on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, subscribe to the Weather Lounge so you don't miss any episodes. And we're also on social media. Find WeatherWorks on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube also. Um, so please come and visit us there. Um, but in the meantime, that is it for this episode. And, and don't forget, actually, drop us a line over at weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com if you have any comments for the program, any topics you'd like us to talk about. We certainly will uh, add them to our schedule. So that is it for the Weather Lounge for this episode. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. <laughs>